Hello, and welcome to the Dynasty Baseball Pickups Podcast. I'm Kyle Sontag, and today we're going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. I'll be the main host of this episode, if you will, but I do have my fantastic co-host Taylor Corso with me. We've each picked a pair of players to discuss, totaling two hitters and two pitchers. But before we get into those prospects, how are you doing today, Taylor? And how are your playoff matchups looking in fantasy? Um, doing great, and uh, thanks for for hosting this week. Uh, probably moving forward, we'll kind of do a, a cycling hosting, so you don't uh, get tired of hearing one of us more than the other. But um, appreciate you uh, you hosting this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the playoffs are actually going really well for me. I've got uh, one final wrapping up where I've got a pretty nice lead and barring anything uh, surprising over today and tomorrow, it looks like I'll have a, a championship in the bag, which is awesome. I uh, always try to get at least one of those per year and then um, have another third place finish. And then I've got uh, a couple of uh, quarterfinals, I think, going right now where it looks like I'll be winning those and heading into the semifinals. So uh, I'm kind of building up for a really good year in the playoffs here. At least, uh, you know, I will have uh, likely one championship under my belt and, and you know, two top three finishes, and then we'll see what happens with the rest. But, um, you know, I, I couldn't be more more excited with, with what's going on. How about you? How are your uh, playoff matches going? That's fantastic. It sounds like you're having a great end to the season. I'm uh, I'm in a couple of really tight matchups here, quarterfinal matchups, uh, that are going to come down to the wire in these last couple of days. And then in the other two leagues that I'm in playoffs, it's the the first week of playoffs in those. And I've got a first round buy in each of them. So I'm sitting back and waiting to see who I face in the next round. But, uh, you know, people didn't come to listen to us brag or complain about our fantasy teams. They came to listen to us discuss prospects. So let's get into the first name that you brought forward today. Yeah, uh, my first name is Ben Rice. So he's 24 years old, uh, left-handed hitter. He's a catcher first baseman in the Yankees organization at AA, and he's 5% rostered on Fantrax. So Ben Rice has been kind of getting a lot of buzz lately. Um, He's put up some pretty impressive numbers after missing a big chunk of the early season due to back surgery so he actually was out the first two months and since returning he uh has moved from low a to double a uh through 322 plate appearances he's put up a 322 432 607 slash so over 1000 ops uh a 181 wrc plus and he has 19 home runs and 11 stolen bases so from a stat level he's put up exceptional numbers and um the plate approach really has been looked great too. So he's got a 13% walk rate, a 19% K rate. And, you know, even though he started in low A kind of running uh, through these different levels, he really has almost performed his best at double A. So he's played the majority of his games there. Uh, he has 212 plate appearances at double A with 15 home runs, a 9% walk rate, 19.8% K rate and slashing 324, 396, 638, which is good for a 314 ISO. So Definitely has shown a lot of power, uh, a great approach, you know, everything you kind of want to see at double A. Um, however, after kind of deep diving him for this podcast, I came away really unimpressed. <laughs> so let me tell you why. Um, first off, he really doesn't have a lot of um, pedigree. He was a 12th round pick in 2021 um, out of uh, Dartmouth. Uh, he you know, has a, a pretty decent frame. He's 6'1", 215. Um, but in terms of the tools, 
you know, he's really kind of known for his hit tool. So he has an above average hit tool, uh, makes a lot of contact. He has been putting up huge power numbers, particularly at double A, but the tool grades don't really seem to back that up. Um, it is a pull heavy approach. It seems like he's maybe has more of average or even slightly below average power. Um, he does have those 11 stolen bases, but it's not really seen at all as, of, as much of a runner. Um, there's a lot of questions about where he's going to end up long-term, whether it's going to be at catcher or at first base. And there's questions of whether or not he'll have the power uh, to really be that, that first baseman. So a big part of that is not so much because he he's not a decent fielder at catcher, but he really doesn't have a very good arm. So, you know, as we move to, you know, more of a running game because of the new rules, as we move to potentially a, um, a robo umpire type strike zone, the ability to to field and frame is really going to be more uh, predicated on arm strength and ability to stop the running game. I think, um, particularly in a couple years at the major league level, so you have to wonder if he's going to stay behind the plate, what that's going to look like, or if he's going to move to first base. And if he's defensively limited, that really puts a lot of pressure on the bat. Um, I think one of the other big questions with him is his ability to hit left-handed pitching. So if you look at his platoon splits from this year, he's got over an 1100 OPS against right-handed pitching, but he only has a 656 OPS with one home run against uh, left-handed pitching. And if you're thinking about, you know, what this could look like in the future, a defensively limited uh, platoon only first baseman is not a great uh, position to be in to, you know, really make a fancy impact. So it was really, really cool to see the the power pick up this year. There, there is the potential that this, you know, could be real that he could end up being, um, you know, either a a mashing catcher or a mashing first baseman, uh, particularly as a left-handed hitter in potentially Yankee Stadium. You know, there's there's a way this could really work, but there's a lot of red flags for me um, that kind of make me think this is more of a, you know, backup catcher profile in the future, and you know, him being 24 and at Double A, the early productivity at at low A and high A, you know, he was really old for those levels. So you kind of have to throw that out. And even though his, his best productivity has come at double A, um, you know, there's still, there's still some questions there. So what are your feelings on uh, Ben Rice? Yeah. You know, you, you really nailed all of it. Everything that I found you, you touched on the, the biggest concern being, you know, where he profiles defensively and how much pressure that puts on his bat. As you said, he's a, a solid receiver and blocker, but he doesn't have the arm to hold off the run game at the big league level. Plays some first base in DH right now, but as you mentioned, again, up until his current stint in AA, where he started to really come with a pull-happy approach, he hasn't shown the power, nor did people think he possessed the power potential to profile as a first baseman or DH. So he's really going to need to show that these changes he's made can stick. The one kind of glimmer of hope I have in this is that this is kind of the first real opportunity he's been getting. Even last season, he wasn't a full-time player. He wasn't injured. He just didn't play full-time in low A. As a 24-year-old this year, this is the first time he's getting the opportunity to play full-time, and he's making the most of it. And I wonder a little bit whether or not 
you know, the, the changes he's making to get to that power and to do what he's done can stick. But on the flip side, as you mentioned, he's hitting well over 300 on the year, but does have a BABIP well over 350 at both levels or at all levels and now approaching 400 in double a and he doesn't have the speed nor the the big exit velocities to keep that up so there's a lot in this profile that makes you think it might be a flash in the pan but you know do you see this as a guy making the most of his opportunities or do you think this is going to be the kind of guy that you might be shedding off your roster come the next hot thing next year. Yeah, that's a great question. I I did pick up a couple shares of him a couple weeks ago in in some of my deeper leagues. Um, but yeah, now you know at the time I thought this is a guy who's on the rise. He's sh- you know finally getting an opportunity to play, and he's he's putting up you know big power numbers. Um, but again, after looking into it further. I just, I, I'm more in that second camp that you mentioned. I think this is probably going to be the first guy I move off my rosters for, uh, you know, a new interesting prospect. And, you know, the, really the only league I would kind of be excited to have him in at this point would be uh, a two catcher league. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I, I think there, you know, this type of profile, you can be a little bit more patient with it. Um, but, you know, we're nearing the end of the minor league season here. Uh, a, most, dynasty teams and leagues are not going to be expanding. So you're going to have to make room for uh, FYPD picks. And I think in those leagues where I have Ben Rice, he's probably going to be one of my first names cut to, uh, to have those spots to, to draft. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. He's, he's towards the bottom of the pecking order for me as well. And just one of the easier guys to move off of. But from a 24-year-old in AA, we now move on to an 18-year-old hitter in complex ball. That being Samuel Munoz, an 18-year-old outfielder in complex ball, as I mentioned, in the Dodgers system. Now, he's also listed as a third baseman on Fantrax because he did play there a little bit as an amateur, but he hasn't played a single inning there in pro ball. He won't play there. The Dodgers see him solely as an outfielder. He's six foot three, 190 pounds, and just 5% owned on fan tracks. So last season, as a 17-year-old in the Dominican Summer League, he put up a fantastic slash line. He batted 347, 429, 491, but he only added one home run and four steals in 47 games. That pattern has largely continued this season in complex ball, though the slash line has dropped to a less impressive 273, 338, 412 with two home runs and nine steals in 52 games. He does still have a very reasonable 17% K rate and a good enough walk rate of 8.8%. But, you know, you, you want to see those counting stats a lot higher, really, if this is someone you want to roster. That being said, Samuel Munoz, for me, is a guy who is an excellent example of trusting the process rather than just scouting the stat line. Even though the numbers don't seem to be indicative of someone who will one day be a solid fantasy asset, I do still think there's a lot to like here and a lot of potential. He's considered to be quite advanced at the plate for his age, and that's fairly evident in his walk and strikeout numbers. 
his approach, in my opinion, could use some work as it's currently geared towards just making contact and getting the ball in play and often results in spraying the ball to the opposite field, which is evident by his opposite field hit percentage of over 40% last year and over 30% this year. He's a big kid at six foot three with room to grow into his frame and put on more muscle. So if you can, you know, adjust that approach a little bit and get him looking to pull the ball a little bit more, mix that with his size and projectability. Um, you know, and this is a guy who could develop into at least average power, if not better. You just hope that he doesn't have to sacrifice some of that bat to ball ability to do so. Now, the other thing you would like to see improved in this profile is his ground ball rate. He has been hitting the ball on the ground a lot in the first two years of his professional career. It was 47% ground ball rate last year in the DSL and 41% this year in complex ball. So, yes, there's a lot of work to be done. But he also has a pretty strong foundation, stronger than, as I mentioned, some of those numbers might indicate. And let's not forget that he is in one of the best development systems in the entire league with the Dodgers right now. So I think he might be, you know, kind of a back end top 400 range prospect right now. So whether or not your league is deep enough to roster Samuel Munoz might be in question. But at the very least, I think this is a player to put on your watch list and pay attention to as he transitions into full season ball in the coming years. Worst case scenario, he's the kind of guy that we just talked about in Ben Rice. That's an easy cut at the bottom of your roster come FYPD season or come that next hot prospect that pops up. So what do you think, Taylor? Is Munoz worth rostering right now? Or are you the type of player who would rather wait and see how he develops in the next year? I, I'm more of a wait and see guy. Um, you know, I, I know we've talked a lot about it on previous podcasts, but this is not my favorite profile. The the plus hit tool waiting for for the projection. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, um, when you're six three, you definitely have some projectability for power, and if you can get up to fifty fifty five power, and then you know pair that with a potentially sixty hit tool, you know you're looking at a really good player who even has a little bit of speed to chip in too. But I think, you know, when I'm seeing a player whose best tool is their hit tool, um, I I want either, you know, average or better power or average or better speed. And Munoz at this point, you know, there there are some some there is some projectability with the power, but he doesn't really have average or better of either one. And so, you know, for me, this is more of a, a watch list guy. However, with that being said, this is the kind of prospect that could really, really take off if he gets a hot start either um, early next season or, you know, if he performs um, in in winter ball. So I don't know if he's going to play in winter ball at all. Uh, I'm not sure. But if he does and he puts up a, a good performance, then um, this is the type of prospect that that could really take off. So, so far, he really hasn't shown, you know, as you mentioned, he really hasn't shown anything beyond just the hit tool and the approach. However, you know, he's still 18 and still developing. So, you know, that that could definitely come. I think for me, he's a watch list guy, kind of how he was for me coming into the year. Um, nothing's really changed much for me. He was, you know, a sleeper for a lot of people coming into this season. 
he really hasn't taken a step forward in his first look at, at state side ball. So next year I'm going to be looking to see, okay, does he get off to a hot start? Does he start to show more power? If the answers to the questions are yes, then I'm going to jump on him. But until he does that, he's going to sit on my waiver wire where he's available. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. I think the biggest thing to watch for come, like you said, either, you know, winter ball or the start of next season is the power. And honestly, even if I see that batting average drop, but he starts getting to that power, I'm going to be a lot more interested because he's shown the base level that he has the hit tool and the, the patience at the plate. So if they figure out a way to unlock some of that power, that's really all I'm looking for here. If yeah. I want to jump on him next season. Yeah. And, and the, the big thing going for him is that is the organization he's in, right? If anyone's going to do it, it's the Dodgers. And yeah. one interesting comp I saw put on him was uh, Michael Brantley. So I, I think what you're hoping for there is kind of a, a 15, 15 guy with, um, you know, great average, great OBP, um, you know, really a, a good, uh, you know, solid player in, in a categories league, but uh, a plus player in a, uh, points league is kind of what you're hoping for I think with, mm-hmm. with absolutely and as you said you know this is a great example of knowing what is valued in your league because he absolutely with this current profile absolutely will be more valuable in points leagues moving on to the pitchers now the next prospect is a name who you aptly noted over text is the kind of guy I'm often interested in and have kind of missed out on. So what can you tell us about Julian Aguiar? Yeah, this is, it's funny because when we were prepping for this uh, podcast, I wasn't sure who the the second name I was going to go with. So I just started, um, you know, looking at some leaderboards and kind of trolling through MILB tracker. And I had seen the name before, um, but hadn't really deep dived it. And the more I looked into Julian Aguiar, um, the more I just really, really liked what I saw. So Uh, He's 22 years old. He's a right-handed starting pitcher in the Reds organization at double A only 4% rostered on fan tracks. Um, He like uh, Ben Rice, who I previously mentioned, he was also a 12th round pick in that same 2021 draft Um, has a really nice projectable starter frame at six, three, one eighty. And, you know, we've talked about this profile player before, but he's a former infielder uh, who did not focus on pitching full time until the, um, COVID shortened 2020 season. So he's relatively new to pitching and what he's been able to do, you know, keeping that in mind has been really, really impressive. So in terms of his, uh, his pitches, he has, uh, a above average fastball that sits, uh, 93 to 95 and can touch 97. He has good sync on the fastball. So he gets a lot of ground balls and, and that's really his, his best pitch. His secondaries are not as fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, grades of 45 on his slider and his curveball. Um, the one thing he does have going for him is he does have at least an average changeup, uh, which might be his best secondary at this point. So, um, and he's, he's got average control as well. So the, the thing about him is that he's got a, a lot to work with, with the good fastball. He's relatively new to pitching. So you're hoping that with more time, he can, you know, develop one of those secondaries into an above average pitch. Um, but even with just what he's got now, uh, he's been putting up some pretty, pretty awesome numbers. So 
overall this year between high A and double A, he has a 295 ERA, a 3.22 FIP, backs that up. And he has a 9.9 K per nine and 2.7 walks per nine. So he's getting decent amount of strikeouts. He's not walking a lot of batters. Um, so far, you know, since coming to double A in 11 starts, he actually has improved his strikeout rate from where it was in high A and improved his walk rate from where it was in high A as well. So great to see that. The ERA hasn't quite been there. Um, it's been a little bit higher, um, but he has a 428 ERA and double A, but a 3.6 FIP. So he's gotten a little bit unlucky. Um, what One thing I, I was really happy to see with, uh, you know, while looking through his game log is he goes really late into games. So he's actually pitched seven innings twice this year, and he's pitched six innings five times, which is really rare to see for, you know, a player that young, um, you know, still just 22 to be going that deep into games uh, in the minors. So that's really cool to see. I think the big thing with him is just, can he, can he develop a, a above average or plus secondary? Um, that's going to be the key to him remaining as a starting pitcher. But if he can, then I think you're looking at mid rotation upside here and the reds are known for, you know, pitching development that hasn't always gotten there at the MLB level, but um, they've done a good job with, with their pitching prospects. And, you know, the flip side of that is potentially having to pitch in great American ballpark, which is never uh, a great thing. So there's kind of a give and take there, but overall I'm pretty excited about Julian Aguiar. Um, What are your thoughts? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you thought this was a player I would be in on already. And I told you at the time that I vaguely remember looking into him but couldn't really recall what held me back. And now that I've dove back in, I think I had my blinders on a little bit and it was due to recent performance at the time that I had looked at him. It was mid June and he had just come off a stretch of three games to start that season in which he had walked five batters, four batters and four batters totaling 13 walks, also giving up 13 hits over 13 innings. Now, he did only allow six earned runs over that span, but with all those hits and walks, his uh, whip to start the month of June was exactly two. And that really turned me off of him, mainly the walks. But again, I had my blinders on a little bit. Overall, his numbers on the season were still quite good at that time and are even better now that he's had some time to write the ship. And in fact, his next three starts after that stretch that turned me off of him were so good that he was promoted to double-A in mid-July. Now, I watched a little bit of video, and the one thing I did notice there is that he falls off very hard to the first base side of the mound in his follow-through. So as a right-handed pitcher, this tells me that he relies more on rotation than leg drive which isn't always a bad thing, but can sometimes result in a pitcher getting out of sync a little more easily and may explain some of the games he has where he all of a sudden walks four or five batters and seems to lose his control because he does have a number of games as well where he walks maybe one or two, maybe none. But, you know, overall, this clearly isn't a major issue because, as you mentioned, his walk rates are still good. It's just a walk percentage of 5.6% in his 11 starts at double A so far. So there's still a lot to like here, um, but he's he's got a few things to work on. Like you said, 
he's in, you know, another great organization as far as pitching development goes, though. So there's there's a lot of reason to like him and a lot of reason to think that there might be more in the tank. Now, you grabbed a number of shares earlier this week, but not in all of the leagues that we are in together. So in your opinion, how deep does a league have to be right now for you to continue, consider rostering Julian Aguiar? Um, that's a great question. I think if you have, you know, anywhere over 200, 250 prospects, he's definitely someone to think about picking up. Um, the leagues where I didn't pick him up was more so I just didn't have a spot for him. Uh, I wanted to pick him up everywhere. I'm, I'm really excited about this kind of profile. I think this is a player who could take a step forward um, next season. And I, I think one thing to keep in mind that you had mentioned was just the consistency It has been the biggest challenge for him. And even mm-hmm. looking at, you know, what I mentioned about him being, uh, you know, making some improvements, getting to double a, uh, he really struggled in, you know, the, his first few starts at double a, then, you know, went on a stretch where he looked really good and then had a huge blow up and then has been better his last couple of games. So it just kind of ironing that out, getting a little bit more consistency. Um, I could see, you know, 22 at double A, this is the type of player that we could see in the majors next year. I mean, teams aren't yeah. holding back uh, their, especially their pitchers at this point. Like we're, we're seeing pitchers, you know, make these big leaps and then getting pushed to um, push to the big leagues. And, you know, he doesn't have the same type of profile. He doesn't have the same strikeout upside necessarily, but um, we kind of saw um, Abbott, you know, start out in double A this year and then, you know, make an impact at the MLB level. And I think you could see Aguiar kind of take that same timeline next year where if he starts at double A, you know, shows good stuff there. Um, it could be a pretty quick path to him, you know, getting to the majors because um, who knows what the Reds rotation is going to look like next year, uh, particularly with the the injury issues they've had. Yeah, and they've shown a, you know, they specifically, the Reds, have shown a propensity for bringing pitchers up, all all prospects, but pitchers up early. They've had, what, three pitchers alone make their debuts this year in Abbott, Phillips, and Richardson. I don't know if I'm missing anyone, but they've had tons of guys that they've given opportunities to early on. Yeah, and then last year was uh, Lodolo, Green, and and Ashcraft. So Mm -hmm. they've definitely had a youth movement going, um, you know, with their pitching. Absolutely. So from one double A arm that I should have been in on sooner to one that I've actually been in on for a while now, the last player we're going to discuss today is Adam Mazur. He's a 22-year-old right-handed pitcher in double A, just like uh, just like Aguiar. He's in the San Diego org. He's listed at 6'2", 180 pounds, and 5% owned on fan tracks. So the double A numbers for Mazur don't quite look as good as Aguiar's, at least not on the surface. But he's a guy that also started the year in high A. He started 11 games there, made 12 total appearances. He had a 202 ERA and 103 whip alongside a 20.4% K rate and 4.3% walk rate. So not a ton of strikeouts at the level, but very good walk numbers. Double A has been a little bit of a different story. Um, he's pitched in 12 games at the level, only seven starts here. I'll touch on that a little bit more later. 
He has a 403 ERA and a 142 whip, but his K percentage has jumped to 26.2%, while his walk rate has remained identical at, again, a stellar 4.3%. Now, because he hasn't been starting his entire time at AA, there were one or two blowups that have really ballooned that ERA. And he actually just pitched yesterday, going five innings, not allowing an earned run, and it lowered his ERA by more than half a point at the level. So that gives you some, you know, some thought as to exactly how quickly something can change when we're talking about a sample size of 12 appearances. Um, and the other thing to note about some of his numbers in double A is that opposing batters are hitting 299 off of him at the level with a 396 Babbitt against. Those aren't numbers that I expect to remain that high. So I believe when he likely starts next season back at double A, his ERA and his whip will be greatly improved. Now, as I noted, only seven starts in the 12 total appearances in double A so far. And that might concern some people, but I think this was more of just a means to control his innings than anything else. He was a second round pick of the Padres just last year, throwing 93 innings for Iowa after before being drafted. Uh, and the Padres didn't give him his professional debut until the start of this season. So he threw 93 innings last year. At this point, he's already surpassed that. So I think they were just managing his innings a little bit. And that's really evident in the fact that his seven starts at the level have been his last seven appearances. And they're letting him go five, six innings, depending on how he's doing. And he's thrown a combined 21.2 innings over his last four outings, giving up just eight earned runs and walking just three while striking out 12 over that span. Now, I mentioned that he's walked just three over that span. Something that really, really impresses me with Mazur is that control and his ability to limit the walks. He has just four outings all season between high A and double A with more than one walk and none with more than two. To add on to that even a little bit more, he's only given up five home runs in 96 total innings all year. Now, diving into his stuff a little bit, he's got a very deep arsenal for someone at his level of development being his first professional season. Some will argue whether he throws four or five pitches because he used his two-seam fastball a lot more in college before he adjusted his grip on the four-seam. Since doing that, the four-seam has become a much better pitch with a much better movement profile, and he just hasn't had to rely on the two-seam nearly as much. So the four-seam is already a pitch that gets graded as above average, and he typically works in the mid-90s with it, but has shown the ability to throw it as hard as 99 miles an hour at times. The two-seamer, when he does use it, is a low 90s offering that provides a bit of a different look as it fades down in the zone. Um, but the, the big thing here is that he has three other secondary pitches led by his slider, which is considered to be his best pitch. It gets a lot of plus grades already. It's a low to mid 80s offering with good two-plane break that misses a ton of bats. He rounds out his arsenal with a changeup thrown in the mid-80s 
and a curveball in the upper 70s that both grade out as more average pitches with potential to be better, but round out a really nice full arsenal of four or five pitches that all grade as average or better. Now, this is the kind of arm, the pitching prospect, that I love to bet on. He's got good but not great stuff with really good control. By no means is this a comp, especially given the elite levels of control he's shown this season in the bigs. But Adam Mazur's profile reminds me a bit of George Kirby when he came out of the draft. Remember, Kirby didn't always have the velocity that he has now. He was coming out of the draft more of that, you know, low to mid 90s. And it wasn't until uh, the COVID shutdown of 2020 that reports started coming out of increased velocity where he was all of a sudden touching, you know, upper 90s. In college, he was known more as a command over stuff kind of guy. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying that this is the next George Kirby, but the K and the walk rates that Mazur has put up so far are pretty similar to the majority of Kirby's numbers in the minor leagues. So if Mazur can find another gear with his stuff, whether it be more consistent high-end velocity or better secondaries, I think this is a guy that could really jump up prospect rankings next season. So what do you think about Adam Mazur? Yeah, it's funny because like you mentioned with uh, with me, you know, messaging you about Aguiar, um, you had mentioned with Mazur that you thought I was really going to like him. And, and you were absolutely correct. Um, after digging in, I mean, really love all the grades that he got on his various pitches um, and, and the mix that he has, you know, the pedigree, the projectable frame. I mean, he can already touch 99, but you know, there's, you know, like with Aguiar, I mean, there, there's enough room on his frame to, you know, really have more velo um, and having the exceptional control that he does where he's not walking anybody um, is really great to see. So the one big knock on him you know, from my perspective, is just he doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, you know, w at high A, he had a, a K per nine of around seven. Um, it's jumped up since double A. It's now 10. But if you actually look at, you know, where those strikeouts came, it came primarily when he was being used as a reliever. Yeah. So if you just kind of take out his his seven starts at at double A, you know, he's still got that um, K rate around, around seven per nine. So, you know, that is not super sexy, but everything is there for him to improve on that. And it seems that is more of an issue with his command and not spotting, um, you know, pitches as well as he, he maybe could. Yeah. So I think the big thing that you mentioned there is, you know, the, the K rates when he's starting aren't quite the same as when he was in a relief role. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, maybe some of the grades that we see on his stuff and the fact that he's touched 99 miles an hour with the fastball, but it's not there consistently. Oftentimes when a guy's relieving, you sell out a little bit more to get to that upper end velocity and upper end stuff because you know you've only got an inning or two. So if they can make some progress with him in the coming years here and just you know, tick up that velocity, tick up that stuff a little bit to a point where he can more consistently reach that quality of pitch because he does already get above average grades on two of his, again, five pitches. And the other five are average. They're not bad pitches. He can really 
you know, mix it up and keep hitters off balance here. Um, so I think there's a lot to like and a lot of reason to believe that there is more development coming. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I mentioned the the strikeouts primarily as like the the one drawback, but I think what you have here, you know, is a high floor starter who at the very minimum is going to be, you know, a pretty solid back end starter. Um, you know, if you don't, if you're not in one of those uh, K percentage or K per nine leagues, then, you know, he's going to be someone who you'll want to have on your fantasy team. And there's the potential for a lot more than that. Um, you know, I, I think the highest likelihood is he settles somewhere around uh, mid rotation, you know, hopefully we see that K rate tick up as he uh, advances and develops a little bit more, but yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot to be excited about here. Absolutely. So overall, we've got four really interesting names here with reasons to like all of them. Uh, so I'm going to ask you if you had to add one hitter and one pitcher that we just discussed today, who are you taking? And I think I know which side of this is going to be a little bit of a more difficult answer for you. Yeah. Um, on the hitter side, I, I think they're both actually kind of difficult because on the hitter side, like I said, I, I think I came away underwhelmed with Ben Rice, but to be honest, I've never really been a huge Samuel Munoz guy. So I think at this point today, who who would I rather have of my roster? Probably Ben Rice. But I think, you know, you ask me a month into, you know, the 2024 season, I think there's a high likelihood I'd rather have Samuel Munoz, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, a great point that we have to be very fluid with how we evaluate these players, especially when we are talking about comparing an 18 year old to a 24 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it, it's close for me, but I think at this point, you know, I do, I do kind of want to see what happens with Ben Rice um, a little bit more so than Munoz at this point. I feel like he hasn't done enough to improve his stock from where it was a year ago. Um, for me to really, you know, add him at this point, because if he's still out there, there's nothing he's done this year that you would warrant him being, um, being moved up or, or picked up in my opinion. Um, what about you on the hitter side? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. It's, it is close, but I think you have to give the edge to the guy performing right now and showing the things that we talked about with Samuel Munoz that you need to see out of him before you consider picking him up, right? Ben Rice is showing the power. He's taking advantage of his opportunity. Um, and we just need to see that out of Samuel Munoz before we're more confident in adding him. So what about the pitching side? Which double A arm are you betting on here? Oh, this this is the really hard one because yes. I really like both these guys. And um, I picked up a lot of shares of both this week. I, I, I think, you know, them being the same age, the same level. Um, you, you, the way I, I, I kind of break it down at the simplest thing is Aguiar has, you know, has the performance I like to see. But he has further to go with the development. Whereas measure in terms of the scouting grades and everything, he has all the stuff I like to see, but the performance in terms of particularly that the K rate just hasn't been there, but I feel mm -hmm. like measure is more likely to make those steps forward than Aguiar. Plus he's got the pedigree. So I think I, I would, I would go with measure, but it's really close. And ideally I'd like to have uh, both. 
Absolutely. I agree with you. And I'm glad you said measure because I wasn't sure if it was just my bias because I picked him that I was leaning towards him, even though it is so close. But I think one thing that, you know, besides just what you mentioned about the about the the two players here, the, the other thing that stands out to me is the draft pedigree. You mentioned Aguiar was a 12th rounder. Mazur was a second round pick. It's not the be all end all by any means, but draft pedigree does matter to a certain extent. And especially when we're talking about, you know, the San Diego Padre system and AJ Preller, who has earned a reputation for being a very good scout and grabbing some fantastic players in the draft. Yeah, I would agree. I, I could throw a little bit of cold water on that because uh, Mazur was under slot, but there's still a huge difference between a second round pick and a yes. and a 12th round pick. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One last thing I just kind of wanted to mention uh, and ask you about is, so they really have similar frames, right? Aguiar is an inch taller at 6'3", um, to Mazur is 6'2", but they're both listed at 180 pounds. Yeah. You kind of get this sense of kind of like a Tristan McKenzie kind of stick, uh, you know, uh, body type at this point with a lot of projectability. Um, is that a body type that you get excited to see because, you know, potentially like increase in velo, or do you get a little nervous to see when you have these really tall, really thin pitchers, um, because of the questions about their durability, uh, to hold up as starters? You know, at, at their height and weight specifically, I don't have a big concern. Anybody that is in the fantasy baseball discord that we're in knows very well that I am not a fan of Tristan McKenzie, largely because of the fact that he is six foot five and 165 pounds. So, you know, he's two inches taller and 15 pounds lighter than these guys. That's a big, big difference. So the fact that you brought that up, I hadn't even considered them anywhere near the same level as Tristan McKenzie at this point. Um, gotcha. In my eyes, these are players that have projectability left on their frame. These aren't players that I'm worried about durability wise, especially because they are still in the minor leagues and have time to put on that weight. You know, Tristan McKenzie is a guy who looked more promising in my eyes in the minor leagues when he was younger, when he had the opportunity to put on that weight, but then years went by and he didn't put on the weight and then it became a problem. Yeah. No, I, that's a great point. I, uh, I guess I was, uh, I guess underestimating the, uh, <laughs> how big the difference was between McKenzie and these other guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think for me, you know, seeing that they have room to grow is more exciting than kind of worrying about what they're going to look like, because you really just don't know until they, they get to the big league level and they finish maturing. And then, like you said, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, McKenzie would put on that weight and he never did, but you know, he could be the exception where a lot of these guys do. Um, so it's, you know, you always kind of want room to add more potential rather than, you know, kind of being maxed out currently. Absolutely. Exactly. I'd much rather see six, two, six, three, one eighty than six, two, six, three, two thirty at two thirty. That's not going anywhere. There's no projection. There's no opportunity for, you know, putting on more good weight. Uh, the only way to go is down at six, two, six, three, one eighty. There's lots to like. Definitely. 
All right, so that's everything we've got for you guys today. Remember to give us a follow. Uh, the Twitter links or X now will be in the pod description. Thanks for listening and have a good one.